Well, guess what? We are back. We are back. We are back. And I am so excited. And man, if it's your first time joining us, come on, we just want to say welcome home. Let's put our hands together for everybody joining for the first time. My name is Mark, and I get the privilege of serving as the young adult pastor here. And I'm just excited that you're in the room. Uh, We're really in an exciting time as a ministry. We've got so many amazing things taking place. Starting tonight, we've got groups kicking off. Come on, somebody. You'll get an opportunity to sign up for groups after service. And not only that, we've got neighborhood groups that kicked off strong last week. I'm super excited about that. The team's going to share a little bit more about that. But not only that, we've got Friday hangs this Friday as well, and it's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss out. But that's all great stuff. But can I tell you, I am excited to preach because today we're jumping into a new series, a new collection, studying the book of Revelation. Come on, somebody. Jumping into the book of Revelation, and I'm just so thrilled to jump into this text. But as I was preparing for this text, um, I started wrestling with this idea: like, man, like, are we are we really ready to jump into this text? Are we are we like really ready? Do we really understand all that this word has to offer us? This past week weekend. Uh, I found myself in Atlanta, and I was uh, at a wedding. I had the privilege of marrying Daniel Christopher and Hannah Young. Come on, somebody. Two of our young adults here at the exchange. And, man, such a beautiful wedding, such a beautiful time. But after the ceremony, uh, we're sitting down at the table um, for the reception. And we're sitting at the table, my wife and I and our daughter. And we're sitting with all of the bridal party at this very, very long table. And across from me, um, one of the bridesmaids, her husband, He's sitting there across the table, and it's just like kind of awkward. You ever find yourself in this moment where uh, someone clearly wants to start up a conversation, but they don't know how? Like, how many of you know it's like the worst when you're on an airplane, okay? It's like, like, do do we talk? Like, what do we do, you know? This guy, we were sitting across from the table, and every single time, like, we, we, we look at each other, we make eye contact, he just breaks it. He's like... Just kind of like hiding behind this vase on the table. And I'm just like, everything okay, you know? And I uh, finally look at him. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? And he goes, hey, hey, pastor. I go, My name's Mark. <laughs> He's like, um, so, so like, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, I know you're a pastor. So, so like, what do, you, what do you do on a daily basis? Do you just like pray all day? <laughs> like, such a high compliment. Yes. I'm like, yeah, like, it's one of the things we do, but, you know, we, like, have meetings, and sometimes I have to write a sermon and meet with staff and meeting with different people from our church, and yes, I, I do pray, though, and he goes, so, so, like, help me understand, like, what's the thing that, that has kept you in ministry? Like, have you thought about doing anything else with your life? Is there something wrong with what I'm doing, my friend, you know? He's like, what, what like, keeps you going? And I, I just quickly responded, because this is just what I respond and tell people. Like, I have the deepest joy in helping people follow after Jesus and find God's will for their life. This man literally looks at me, he goes, interesting, see you later. <laughs> what? Like, okay, all right, see you later, buddy. God bless you, praying for God's will for your life, you know? I just thought it was so interesting as uh, I was thinking about that, uh, how many of us, we walk into the doors of the church, we, we sit in the pews on a weekly basis, and we truly have a desire to know God's will for our life, but so many of us, we struggle to find out God's will for our life because we don't engage with God's word. I love what the famous preacher Billy Graham says. He says, you will be ignorant of God's will for your life 
if you are ignorant to God's word. You'll, if you are ignorant of God's word, you will be ignorant of God's will for your life, rather. And I just think that's so true in this day and age. How many of us have a desire to know God's will, to know God's purposes, to know God's plan for our life, but we struggle with this. Why? Because we never open up his word and seek out what it has to say for us. And I'm believing as we go into this series, it's, it's not only going to help us understand God's word. I believe this series is going to help us understand God's will for his church. I just got a newsflash. If you're a follower of Jesus, the church isn't a building. You are the church. The church is a people. And I am believing that through this collection, through this series, as we study the book of Revelation, we are going to understand God's will for his church. And when I think about studying this book, there's so many different reasons why people never approach this book or even read this book. Many people avoid this book because they, they believe it's frightening or daunting. Many people get confused because of all the theories and thoughts and uh, all the different scholars that have different opinions on this book. Many people are like, well, help me understand. What about these giant locusts and uh, the mark of the beast and all these different things? And yeah, yeah that, that's important. But what I want you to know, the most important thing that you need to take from this book is in the end, God wins. I think so many of us, we have this desire to know the whole book of Revelation. And friends, I don't want you to dismiss this book if you're not yet on the faith journey or if you have not yet come to know Jesus. Because I want you to understand this book can change your life. It can change your life. And I believe that God wants to move in this room. I believe that God wants to challenge us, the church, the body of Christ, to understand his will in this hour. Now, let me just be clear. I know some of you are like, oh, Revelation, you know, like the mystery. We're not going to be talking about like horned locust and multi-headed beast, okay? I, I want to focus on the first three chapters of this book that speak to the seven most influential churches in that day. I, I want to focus on the letters to the seven churches that we read in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. And I want you to understand before we even jump into this, it's important you get context Jesus mentions these seven churches because these were the most influential churches. They weren't influential because of their size, though. And I just kind of want to pause for a moment. Let me just say this. This is applicable to us today. As the pastor of this ministry and one of the pastors of this church, I don't want us to be seen as influential because we were big. I want us to be seen as influential because we were strong. And I believe that we will be the influential church that God looks at and commends when we understand the will of God in this hour. We got to understand. It's about being stronger, not bigger. And I believe growth is a product of strength. We will grow. We will reach more people if we continue to lean in to being discipled by God. And newsflash, I think so many of you as young adults, you have a desire to be a part of the cool church. The trendy church, the vibey church. But I just want to put you on notice. Satan isn't afraid of a vibey church, a cool church, a trendy church, a big church. He's afraid of a strong Bible-believing church. He's afraid of a Bible-believing church. So as we look at Revelations chapter 1, I want to challenge you. If you didn't bring your Bible, bring it next week. It's going to really help you as we go through this book. It says this. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, 
who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It says this in verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all those who listen to this message and obeys what it says. For the time is near. I just don't want you to miss this. In this first three verses of this book, God promises a great blessing to those not only read this book, but those who listen to it and apply it. How many of you know we are called to not only be a hearer of God's word, but a doer of God's word? And I think that's one of the challenges in the church today. We have a lot of people in the pews that are listening, but not a lot of people that are living. So interesting, though, that this is the only book that, that promises blessing to those who read it and listen to it. And in order for us to read this book, we, we first need some Context. It's so important that whenever we read the Bible, we have context. You see, the Apostle John, he was a committed follower of Jesus. And in this moment, he's writing this letter from an island called Patmos. He's writing this letter from an island called Patmos after Jesus reveals himself to him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. We're going to pick up right here. And this is the moment where Jesus reveals himself to the Apostle John. He says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering. And in God's kingdom... And in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day when I was worshiping in the spirit. But suddenly I heard around me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So in this moment, Jesus, he appears to the Apostle John through a vision while John is exiled, left to die on an island called Patmos. It's important you understand, it's, uh, it was in this era, there was an emperor, his name was Domitian. And Domitian, he hated Christians. He, he persecuted anyone who was a follower of Jesus. He persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. And I just want you to understand, John, he's preaching the gospel. He's sharing his testimony. And John isn't just thrown on social media and canceled on social media like you would be today. Many theologians believe that John, he was literally thrown into a vat of oil, boiling oil, and then exiled, thrown onto this island called Patmos, left there with the intent to die. Hear me, persecution in this day and age, it wasn't just being canceled on social media, it wasn't just, oh, get out of our church. Persecution in this day and age consisted of saw you in two, boil you in order, burn you to death, and feed you to lions. This was not the ideal circumstances to be a follower of Jesus, but here we learn that John, he's looking far beyond the punishment and he is committed to following Jesus all the way to his grave. And in this moment, he gets this clear vision of this Jesus that is speaking to him. This is what it says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the son of man. This is Jesus. He's saying he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He had seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword that came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. 
Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his, his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. I know this is a lot, but stick with me. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the vision that John receives, and I just thought this was just kind of timely. My wife and I, we have our daughter. She's um, 14 months old. Her name is Harlan Ryder, amazing, beautiful little girl. I love her, love her, love her so much. But Harlan, she's having what they call a sleep regression. Please pray for your pastor. My daughter will wake up three, four, five times in the middle of the night, and most recently, it's just such an odd occurrence, um, she'll be in the middle of her sleep, and she'll just screech. <laughs> and one day, Michelle and I, we were uh, watching TV on the couch and, you know, maybe some other things that husband and wife can do. Anyways, um, I love my wife. So, all right, here we go. My boss is here. I got to be careful. So my wife and I, we're, yeah, we're watching TV, and, you know, we're fellowshipping, and you just hear from my daughter's, Rah! and I'm, like, freaking out, and I'm, like, running over to the cabinet. I'm, like, get the anointing oil, you know, get my Bible. Michelle's, like, babe, relax. She's just having a dream. What? A dream? I'm like going into Harlan's room like, girl, what are you, like, what are you thinking, you know? What, what is it that's on your mind? You're 14 months old. Nothing should trouble you to this degree. <laughs> Michelle's like, it's just a dream. And I'm literally still to this day trying to figure out what is my daughter thinking about? You know what's so interesting about it, though? John, he makes it plain for us. We don't have to wonder what he's thinking about or what he's seeing as he sees Jesus. He, he makes it plain. He makes it clear. He goes, man, I have fallen at the feet of this man. I have never seen anything in all of creation, in all of my life that looks like this. He says, this man, he's, he's a mighty man. This is the son of man. And as he says this, he says, his hair was like wool. He was as white as snow. And when he says this, he's, he's reflecting on the purity of Jesus. He says, he has eyes like fire that has the power to purify our soul. He says he has a, a golden belt, a golden sash, which is a picture of Jesus' authority, reminding us, friends, that he is king of kings and lord of lords. He says he has a priestly garment, which means Jesus is the greatest high priest, the greatest pastor. He says not only that, Jesus, he has a voice like thunder. Does that mean it's the most powerful voice that overlooks all the noise? He says he has a tongue like a sword that, that pierces and cuts things out of our lives. He has feet like bronze to carry all of the burdens of the world. When I think about this text, I just don't want you to miss this. Because when we read Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, he says, but this man, this son of man, he wasn't just standing there. He was standing in the middle of seven lampstands. I know I'm kind of giving you a lot right now. I need to give you a little overview. It's going to set us up for the next few weeks. But every time we hear about the lampstands, it's a reference to churches. 
the seven churches. And in this moment, Jesus, he's standing in the middle of these lampstands. He's standing in the middle of his churches. I just want you to understand how applicable this is for us today. Jesus is aware of the climate of his church here on earth. He is aware of our faith. He is aware of our disbelief. He's aware of the moments where we're just going through the motions. He's aware of our sin. He's aware of when we're living and doing the things of God just for selfish ambition and not for his worship. He is aware of each and every one of our actions in the church. He was standing in the middle of these seven lampstands. Don't want you to miss this, though, because as we look at this in verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus says, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is and who always was and who is still to come. I am the Almighty One. I just don't want you to miss this. As John is in his darkest moment, left on an island called Patmos to die, Jesus doesn't appear to him as soft, fuzzy, cozy, lovey, dovey, gracious Jesus. Jesus appears to John as mighty, powerful Lord of Lords. Just feel like you can't miss this, what, what this text is communicating. John is in his darkest moment, and you would think Jesus would appear to him as the savior of his situation. But no, friends, Jesus appears to him as king of kings and lord of lords. Let me help you understand and interpret this text well. Some of us, so often, we find ourselves in our lowest moment, in our darkest hour, and we look to Jesus and ask him just to save us. But friend, what if you shifted your attention on the fact that he's not just a savior, he is the king of kings and the lord of lords? Because when I focus on that truth, I begin to realize that God is sovereign even in the midst of my situation. He's in control. He's seated on the throne. He's not moved by your situation. He's not moved by your suffering. He's not moved by your downfall. He's in control. And what I'm trying to help you understand, you may be in the midst of your darkest hour. There is hope because there's an eternal promise that's found in Jesus. There's hope. There's hope. It's important that we understand that Jesus is not only a savior, but he is Lord. He's Lord. And I think one of our greatest temptations when we begin to follow Jesus, we just reduce, we just reduce Jesus to, to the savior. We just focus on the soft, merciful, gracious Jesus. We focus on the one that he promises to meet our needs. He promises to forgive us our sins, but let us not lose sight of the fact that he is Lord. I just think like the irony of this, I just wrote this down, I was like, many of us, we, we want to see Jesus as our Savior, but we struggle to understand that he needs to be Lord, not of some of the things, but all of the things in our life, and we struggle to do that, we struggle to accept that because we don't want to take the L. Because how many of you know, when I make Jesus Lord, I've got to start cutting some things out of my life. I've got to start changing some things in my life. I've got to start leaving behind some things in my life. Please hear me. What I'm saying today is Jesus, he didn't just come as a savior. He's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. And this is who appears to John. The first church that we're going to study today is 
Found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. It's the church of Ephesus. Everybody say Ephesus. We've got a map of Ephesus up on the screen, and it's important you understand and get some context on this church. You see, this was the most influential church of all seven churches, it's said to be. See, it was the largest city in Asia, which is now known as Western Turkey, and it had at this time over a quarter of a million people residing in this city. You see, it was also the nation's capital. But what made this place so significant was where it was situated. See, it was situated on what's called the Aegean Sea, which made it a major port of import and export. It was an affluent city. It was an affluent church. It was a a place where many people would go and change and exchange money and different items and all these different things. It was one of the most wealthy places in that day. What you should also know is the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote over half of the New Testament, he was the man that spent three years helping plant this church. He was a man that we read about or wrote the book of Ephesians, and it's actually to this church, the church of Ephesus. But what's also interesting about this is, as I was studying, um, I learned that scholars believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, actually attended this church too. It's pretty cool, but could you imagine being the pastor of that church and doing the Christmas message? Like, Jesus was born of a virgin, right, Mary? Mary's like, stop airing out my business, punk, you know? This was one of the most influential, wealthy churches, and it had a lot of great things going on. But look at what Jesus says to the church of Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, it says, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus says this, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, and I know your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people that have tested those who claim to be the apostles but are not. And you found these people false. But you've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary yet. Somebody say yet. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I just want you to see what Jesus does here. Jesus, he first commends this church. He says, yo, I I know you've got good deeds. I know you guys are doing good things. I call it Christian energy. I know you guys are doing big things for God. I know you're serving. I know you're giving. I know you're being generous. I I know that you're doing all of these things which are important, but these aren't the most important things. Jesus then also says, he he commends them. He says, "I, I also recognize you have good doctrine. They had a good belief mechanism. They believed um, in Jesus Christ as Lord. But at this day and age, there was a group of people called the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were a group of people that would refute the teachings of Jesus. They would refute the gospel. They actually believed that you could go ahead and live however you wanted to live and live by the ways of the flesh. Many of these Nicolaitans, they would encourage people to have sex with with many groups of people and participate in orgies, and they believed in pagan worship and all of these different things. And this church, the church of Ephesus, they're clearly standing against the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And next week, we're going to go a little deeper into the ways of the Nicolaitans, but they stand against their teaching. But I love what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I love how it says it in the NLT. He says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Consider how far you've fallen, Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you 
and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Just want you to understand, Jesus is saying, you can have good deeds and good doctrine, but if you don't have love, you have missed the point. Just feel like this is a word for us in this day and age. We can be busy doing the things of God. We can be reading our Bible from wee hours of the morning to late in the evening. But if we don't have a heart of love, we've missed the point of following Jesus. And I believe in this hour, in this generation, there's too many of us who have a desire to be filled with good doctrine and know all of the Bible. I want to know all the scriptures, Pastor Mark. I want to be able to challenge people. I want to be able to communicate truth. Well, homie, you can communicate truth, you can know the whole Bible, but friend, if you miss out on a grace, you've missed the point. There's so many young adults in this day and age that don't have grace because you don't have love. And what Jesus is communicating to this church is, if you've missed out on love, loving me and loving others, you have missed the point of what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus. I think about this moment where a group of men come up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. They ask him, yo, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then he says this. The second is, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The pinnacle of our faith, our faith is hinged on love. Our, our faith, the nucleus of our faith is love. But so many of us today have missed what it means to have a heart. Of love. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is like the ultimate marriage verse, okay? It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Just think that this is like the, the friendly, happy wedding verse that we've all heard at a point in time. But how many of you know this is more applicable to the way that we live and the way that we pursue our love for Jesus? In this text, he's saying, you can reverse tithe. You can give 90% of your income. But if you don't have love... You've got nothing. You can sign up for all the Surf Saturdays. You can join the team. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. You can feed the poor. You can meet the needs of the needy. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. You can walk into my house and worship and hold up your hands. But if your heart isn't sincerely wrapped around love for me, you've done nothing. I just wonder how many of us today we're going through the motions in our faith and what we don't realize is we don't have a sincere love for Jesus. We're just doing what everyone else is doing. I just wonder how many of us were opening up the Bible just to check it off the list. Just wonder how many of us walk into this room and see 400 plus young people raising their hands and jumping and getting excited about worship, but you just do it because you don't want to be the odd one out. Jesus says, if, if you don't have true love, you've, you've missed the point of what it means to follow after me. You see, the church of Ephesus, they clearly lost their love for God, but they also lost their love for God's people. This past week, it feels like it happened like a year ago already, but we were said to have a hurricane. And 
Thank God we weren't affected by this hurricane, but there are many people who were affected by this hurricane. But um, it just so happens that in my house, um, there's someone who's a little bit of a panic purchaser, okay? And, and it's just, it's not me. My daughter's 14 months, so you can put it together. Um, I love my wife so much. She's absolutely incredible. But it was Tuesday, and all the hysteria of the storm is coming, and I'm in the middle of a meeting, and my wife calls me. She goes, babe, it's coming. I'm like, yes, yes, honey, I, I know. And um, she goes, like, do we have everything we need? And I'm just, I'm a dude, so I'm like, just get some Cheetos or whatever. We'll be all right. And... And um, my wife's like, you know, you remember we bought lanterns like last year. Do you know what batteries these lanterns need? She's like, yeah, babe, like they need the IDK batteries, okay? Like I, I just don't, I don't look at our, our lantern quite often, honey. So she's like, oh, I'm just, so many people are just buying batteries, so I'm just going to grab what I can. I get home and we've got an array of batteries across our countertop with this long receipt and I, I go to get this lantern. I had this little lantern in our pantry. And I, I go to pull out the lantern. I'm like, yeah, my wife, she went and got the batteries. And I go to open it. Usually when you slide it up, it, it activates. It illuminates it. I'm looking at this lantern. I'm like, ain't nothing happening, you know? Like, what happened? And she's like, they, they didn't have the right batteries. They didn't have the right ones to power it and be its source. And so I'm like, in the event we lose power, what do we do? You know, uh, and she looks at me. She goes, "Well, we'll figure it out. Great, cool. Tell me that later." And we have a daughter that's screaming and crying. Anyways, so I pretty much have this lantern, and not even thinking about it, I just kind of tossed it on the couch and came back to me as I was preparing for this message. Um, as we hear about these lampstands, and in Revelation chapter two, verse five, you can put that verse on the screen. Jesus says, "If you don't repent," I will remove your lampstand. You see, the lampstand, it's the light of the church. In this day and age, let me just kind of unpack it to you a little bit and give you some context. Priests would take these lampstands into the temple where people would go to worship, and they would bring them into the temple so they could light up the surrounding area so people could see. But as I was thinking about this, I had this purposeless, pointless lantern because it didn't have a power source. And I'll just think about this picture, that if you and I don't have love, love is the power source for everything we do as followers of Jesus, we have no point of existence. We are completely purposeless. You see, the church of Jesus Christ, our power source, must be love. And how many know this lantern is completely insignificant and useless if it doesn't have a power source? Just as the church of Jesus Christ is completely purposeless and useless if it doesn't have love. We, we got to have, we got to have love. I think about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill. You know what that means, friends? We are called to be the light in a world full of darkness. We're called to be people that, that pave the way and illuminate the way so people can see the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. But if we don't have love, it's all meaningless. 
We're all called to give. We're all called to serve. We're, we're all called to invite people to church. We're called to pray for people. We're called to care for people. We're called to invite our colleagues and our family members and our friends to join what God is doing in our life. But if we don't have love, it's meaningless. So Jesus says, if you don't repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand and the light is the influence of the church. Jesus is saying, I will remove your light, which is your influence. I'm going to snatch your influence from you, and you will not be able to do the things that I have called you to do. I wrote it down this way. When you lose your love, you lose your light. And if we lose our light, we ultimately lose our purpose. We've got to be a people that, that love God and love God's people. This verse came to me this morning, Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to this same exact church centuries before Jesus rebukes this church in Revelation chapter 2. He says this to the church of Ephesus, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you continually, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you the spiritual wisdom and insight that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I just thought this was so interesting. This same exact church in Ephesians chapter 1 is the same exact church that centuries later Jesus is rebuking in Revelation chapter 2. I just thought this is so applicable. None of us are exempt from losing our love as we follow after Jesus. This church, they were being commended by the Apostle Paul for their love for Jesus, but here they are now being rebuked by Jesus. And I just think this, this is the reality of where we find ourselves. So many of us, we, we lose our love for Jesus on our faith journey because we have what I call a convenient faith. Or we develop what I call a familiar faith. It's a moment where I, I begin to mature in the Lord and I'm getting around the things of God. I'm hanging out with the right people. Things in my life are changing, but I start to grow numb to the reality that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I start losing sight of the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. My devotion to Jesus starts to wane over time. I start losing sight of everything that he did for me on that cross. I think about what Jeremiah, the prophet, says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. This is what the Lord actually says. He says, I have fond memories of you. How devoted you were to me in the early years. I remember how you loved me like a new bride, how you followed me through the wilderness, through the land that had never been planted. I think so many of us, we get to this place where we're maturing in the Lord, but we have this familiar faith or this convenient faith, and we start losing our devotion to Jesus. But not only do you lose sight of having a deep devotion to Jesus, I believe so many of us, we lose sight of the mercy and the grace of God. I love what the previous book says. Right before the book of Revelation, Jude says this. In Jude chapter 1, verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. 
Friends, I just wonder how different the world would look if we kept ourselves in the love of Jesus Christ, how different our city and our families and our friends and our households and our communities and our schools and our workspaces and workplaces would be if we were committed as the church of Jesus Christ in this hour to continue to deepen our devotion in the things of God. How different might the world be? Our final verse for today, Revelation chapter 2. I want to look back at verse 5 and go into verse 6. He says, consider how far you have fallen. This is Jesus. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstands from its place. Jesus gives us simple instruction. If we want to reignite our love for Jesus, he gives us Simple, simple instruction. He says, number one, you need to repent. And I believe this is the action step, not just for some of us, but all of us. In chapter seven, uh, excuse me, in week seven of this collection, we're gonna learn about the church of Laodicea. And this was a church that Jesus said, you need to repent because you have a lukewarm faith. I believe if Jesus were to call out the climate of the church today, he would say, maybe you guys are a little lukewarm. I believe this is an action step for all of us. Repentance means I'm acknowledging that I've messed up. I'm acknowledging that I've missed the mark. And I'm acknowledging that now I need to turn from my old ways and turn towards my new ways, the ways in which Jesus is calling me to. So many of us, we need to repent and say, you know what? I've grown a little cold in my devotion to God. But the second thing that we read in the text, Jesus says you need to return to the things you did at first. I just love this idea. The fact that I married my wife doesn't mean I stopped dating my wife. I just wish we could adopt that same thought when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Yes, you committed your life to him, but you never stopped doing the things that you did at first. Some of you need to return back to the things that you did at first when you were just so hungry to invite people to church out of sincerity, out of love, when you were just so hungry to open up the word of God early in the morning before you went about your day, when you were just so hungry to turn on the worship music as you were getting ready to get ready for your work day. Some of you need to return back to the things that you did at first. You gotta return. But the last thing Jesus would encourage this church is he says you need to remember. You, you need to remember. And I love this thought when Jesus says you need to remember because it's as simple as this. If we want to reignite our love for God and God's people, we need to remember what Jesus first did for us. Let that old rugged cross never, never lose its significance in your life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that Jesus... The one who knew no sin, he became sin for us so we could be made right with God. Just don't want you to let that go to the wayside or lose sight of the power in that verse. Jesus didn't just die on a cross, he died on our cross so we could be made free. I've got to remind myself of his, his mercy and his grace. It's when I remind myself and remember and repent and return, I'll be able to walk in the will of God for my life. Would you stand to your feet today? As we close, I just kind of want to challenge you right now in this moment to just take that last action step, to remember, to remember what Jesus did on that cross for you. 
Would you just posture your heart around the truth that he didn't just die on a cross, he died on our cross so we could be made free? Would you just remember the fact that he died, his blood was shed, the most gruesome death in all of humanity, so we could have relationship with God the Father again? It wasn't because of your good deeds, it wasn't because of your good doctrine that, that you're right and right standing with God, it's only because of the blood of Jesus. We're going to sing the song, Son of Suffering, and I just want you to just see the finished work of the cross, the, the work that Jesus did for you. Would you just lift your hands if you don't mind, if you feel comfortable? This is a sign of surrender. Would you start saying, God, I'm coming back. You can whisper it. You can say it aloud. You can say, God, I'm, I'm returning back to you. I'm remembering the finished work. God, today, I choose to repent. God, I choose to focus on the finished work of the cross. Just be still in this moment. I'm coming back, God. I don't want to lose my life for you, Jesus. I'm returning back to my first love. I'm returning back to the things I did at first.